0: How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices together, they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. The second reading is from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. i will a moment now uh, to have a look through this thanksgiving, and then we will say it together as one. Please join with me. Almighty God, creator and redeemer, we praise you for the beauty of the world around us and for every gift we enjoy. Thank you for creating us to know you, to love you and to obey you. Most of all, we praise you for your amazing love in sending your son to restore your world by dying for us and rising to give us new life. Accept our praise and thanksgiving through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
1: Let's pray. Lord, may your word live in us. And bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. This is the fourth sermon in our Advent and Christmas series, Let Light Shine. And Today in Luke 2, it's a literal light that shines, also a terrifying light at first anyway. And it's the beginning of a process of speaking about something amazing and welcome that continues to this very day. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. It must have been a night they would never forget. Not a day would pass without them remembering it. They'd just been ordinary shepherds, taking turns guarding their sheep overnight. In those days, as instilled in in the Middle East, you often find a system of unfenced grazing which means there's a need for shepherds to stay with the sheep all the time, to keep them safe and, uh, and, and together. You sort of live with them. And they were living in the open country near Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the very country where once King David had guarded his father's sheep a millennium before. He went on from being a shepherd boy to becoming a wonderful liberator and ruler of God's people Israel. In fact, it's rather funny about that. Although great kings were once shepherds, and the word shepherd could be used of leaders, and even God himself is likened to a shepherd, in practice, actual shepherds and herdsmen had a poor reputation. They were regarded as untrustworthy, and their their work made them unclean ceremonially. They were social outcasts. I was thinking, it's a bit like that today when you find there is at least one profession I can think of already, where so often, not at the moment, but often the greatest in the land, the prime minister and the governor general themselves are in. A- and yet in practice, we regard them as distrusted and disliked. I'm talking, of course, about lawyers. Or perhaps, no, perhaps for us might be real estate agents. And behold, there were in that region lawyers in the field, keeping watch over their files by night, perhaps. Or used car salesmen, keeping watch over their lots by night. Well, that's shepherds for you. What was going on in their mind that night? Well, probably not much, actually. Though they could have been reflecting upon the way things were. Here they were, right where King David grew up. And yet, how different things were now. Israel was not under control of its own land at all. It was the Romans, the pagan Romans, the polytheists. And then there was the so-called king of the Jews, Herod the Great, but no David. You may say, so what? You know, history, nations rise and fall. But this was different. This was no ordinary nation. Israel was the people of the one true and living God. David the king was no ordinary king. He was the one... Commissioned by God. Anointed was the word they used for commissioning. The commissioned one in Hebrew, Mashiach, Messiah. And he'd been promised by God, no less, that that one of his descendants would always reign. And yet there'd be no descendant of David upon any throne of Israel for 500 years. 500 years, no king. I wonder, did those shepherds ever wonder what had happened to God's promises to his people? why had there not been fulfilled i mean take this promise written written, spoken at least 700 years before that night outside bethlehem it's from isaiah chapter 9 for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulder and he'll be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the greatness of his government and peace there'll be no end He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will do this. Did they wonder what happened to the zeal of the Lord Almighty? Why did the pagan idolaters and who did not know God triumph over God's own people in their land? Why was the corrupt and worldly Herod the Great in power? Why was there so much poverty and suffering and loss why, why was the exile that was supposed to be over was still, in a sense, going on in their own land? Why was the human heart itself so weak and easily led astray? Did they ever sit there at night and wonder why God was so silent and ask themselves the question, how come? Then it happened. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. What is a normal biblical reaction to the appearance of an angel or messenger from the Lord? There are two, quite different. One is, you ignore it because of how human the angel looked, often confused with ordinary people. Which is a reason, by the way, why angels don't have wings, just to put your attention, not, not, the, not your normal angels. They big giveaway, if you get my point. The other reaction to angels in the Bible is terror and fear, like here. They were terrified. The Old King James Version, which is in the wonderful Oratory of the Messiah, has they were sore afraid, which doesn't sound too bad. Although the Greek is literally, they feared a great fear, they were terrified. So forget those dopey Christian angels. This one was terrifying. On top of that, we read, quote, the glory of the Lord shone around them. That is, the brilliant, beautiful, stunning light of the brightness of the presence of God who alone dwells in inaccessible light. That shone on them. Can you imagine it? You're sitting there in the dark, and in the ancient world, it was dark at night. Talking or bored or sleeping, and then an angel stands before you and the glory of the Lord all around you. You'd be terrified too, I can tell you. Then it speaks. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I I bring you good news which will cause great joy to all the people literally i'm bringing you good news is the greek verb to evangelize i am evangelizing you with the news with with that which will cause great joy to all the people the angel evangelist and as we'll see shortly that's the beginning of a, a massive ongoing process of evangelization and the message that's what's all this about verse 11 today in the town of david a savior has been born to you he is the messiah the lord today in the town of david a savior has been born to you he is the messiah the lord how would that have sounded to those shepherds today is born to you this day well individually no that they not just them personally that was them personally, it means to you, Israel. A saviour. Someone who's going to deliver them and rescue them. Interesting, Caesar Augustus, Octavian, who was the Roman emperor at the time, had, who had restored peace after the uh, terrible civil wars at the, at the end of the republic, styled himself saviour of the world. Now, there's another one is regime change in the offering, perhaps. Who is the Messiah, the anointed one, the commissioned one, the king, a king of some kind, the Lord, the Lord, he who rules, he who gives authority. It's also a word used often in reference to God. And this will be in the town of David. Where else? Once the town of David, now this new other one, Now, whatever that means to them, it it was a message of hope and of consolation from beyond the normal human possibilities, a message of wonderful new beginning. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people, a Savior, Messiah, Lord. The angel then went on, this will be a sign for you. That is, this will be proof that what I'm telling you is true. You'll find a child wrapped in cloths. That means well cared for because they used to, when the kids were born, they wrap them up. And still do that today in some, cases, some places. That's okay. That's pretty normal. But the last bit's not. And lying in a manger. That's very unusual. A feeding trough. Verse 13. Then suddenly... By the way, you wonder if the angels maybe could, you know, everything is suddenly with these angels, right? Be a little more gentle in the way they appear, but no. Then suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. What is a multitude of the heavenly host? Well, host means an an ordered troop like an army. Multitude means an awful lot of them. So suddenly there's this awful lot of of these, the angels from, as it were, the heavenly court itself, those from the presence of God, it's as though the screen between heaven and earth, between this this reality and the other reality, is from moment drawn drawn aside and and made transparent. And they praise God, (coughs) glory to God in the highest, God is exalted. Glorify him, but also give a word of assurance. And on earth, peace among those he favors. An era of peace is about to come. The Saviour, Messiah, Lord, will bring peace to God's favored ones. And such joy at, at this, this announcement. It's not complete yet. In fact, there is still no Messiah or Saviour or Lord, as it were, just in action, just a baby. But it started. Then the angels disappear. I imagine suddenly, if I could work out how they work things out. And the shepherds rush into the town to see what they've been told about is true. Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. I don't know how long it would have taken them. But they got there, and fair enough, there was a newborn baby, and there it was lying in a manger. You may say, why in a manger? Isn't that a feeding trough for animals? Well, back in chapter 2, verse 6, we're told why. I quote, While they were there, that's in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she, that's Mary, gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That's the NIV translation, and it's a good one. Despite all the images and Christmas plays, the Greek word normally, or traditionally translated "in" kataluma, does not mean a hotel. It's more accurately translated a guest room or living space. It's the same word used in Luke 21, verse 11, where Jesus asks, speaking of the Last Supper preparations, where is my guest room that I may eat my Passover with my disciples? Same word. Now, those who know me know I can be critical of the NIV, but at this point, it deserves full credit. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. See, uh, what I imagine has happened is this. Because of all the crowds of, of, of Joseph's family, all the, re- all the relatives coming back, the only space left was the animal area of the house. Yes, animals were often kept inside in peasant and other people's houses, as they still are in some countries today. I mean, real animals, by the way, not just dogs or cats. Real animals. And I know this changes things a little. Uh, Gone is the trusty innkeeper who has pity on the lonely couple seeking last-minute accommodation. More likely, Mary and Joseph have been there some time. Mary, born her firstborn son in a crowded house, surrounded and helped by her female in-laws. Because there was no room in the living quarters, they they got some peace and quiet out the back or downstairs and put the child in a feeding crop. have to do Interestingly, after the New Testament, there is a tradition referring Jesus being born in a cave uses a livestock shelter behind someone's home. That may have been the case where the Major was. I was just thinking today, talking with the eight thirty people at breakfast, at morning tea rather, this is going to change all our nativity plays, so I'm going to ask Emma, who does this stuff, to change it. Next, in future, we want all the female rels there gathering around, right? Not just Joseph and Mary, but all the other family gathering around helping. It'll be in a little room. A very change to the Christmas outward. I doubt it. I fear tradition will not be moved. But it was unusual enough, unusual enough, this arrangement, to serve as the sign that the terrifying angel was speaking the truth. About the baby, the good news that will be cause great joy to all people. You will, this will be a sign for you. You'll find the child wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The good news, the announcement, that a saviour who is who is Messiah and Lord has been born. Well, now convinced, the shepherds become evangelists themselves. Seventeen, when they'd seen him. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It goes, angels, shepherds, 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 check it out. Shepherds spread the word what they heard from the angels. Everybody's amazed. But there's one person who is thinking more deeply. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Come back on Sunday, if 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 you can make it, 8.30, you'll hear more about Mary's pondering about Jesus. On the other hand, the shepherds are ecstatic. The shepherds return, glorifying God and praising him for all the things that's heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Now, we need to remember that this is only the beginning. No one really knows, I guess except the angels, possibly, how what has begun will really turn out. Thank you. No one really knows, except the angels, how what has begun will really turn out. I mean, I guess for them back then to hear of a saviour who is the Messiah, the Lord sounds like another David, a new David, a better David. A king to replace Herod the Great and liberate the Holy Land from the Romans and their polluting presence and issue in a reign of peace and security and prosperity. God's reign as king through his Messiah is commissioned King. And in a way, that's sort of true, but not as as you would expect. Certainly, they couldn't for a moment have foreseen that day, 30 years later, when the angel's message of one who is the Messiah and Lord would be proclaimed openly in Jerusalem, in what for the hearers was a shocking announcement. I'm taking you to Acts 2, verse 36. Peter is speaking. the crowd that's gathered and he concludes his remarks with this announcement therefore he says let the entire house of israel know with certainty that god has made him both lord and messiah these are the two categories this jesus whom you have crucified lord and messiah God has made him Lord and Messiah, who? The man you crucified. Now raised from the dead. Now exalted to the right hand of God. Enthroned as Messiah. Enthroned as Lord, sharing in the very sovereignty of God. Although interesting, it's in the name of that Lord Messiah, Jesus, that forgiveness is next offered to the very ones accused of crucifying him. The very first forgiveness offering is to them his Saviour, who is Lord and Messiah. Nor could they have ever guessed in their wildest dreams that what kind of Saviour, who is Messiah and Lord, this baby could be. I'm thinking of the scale and breadth of it. This is Peter again, speaking to a a sympathetic Roman centurion in Acts chapter 10, verse 42. He's speaking about what the resurrected Jesus commanded Peter and others to do and you and see I quote from verse 42 of chapter 10 of Acts he commanded us to proclaim to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead that's an astounding remit the judge of the living and the dead that's, every, that's, that's not just everyone alone. It's, it's all humanity You can't get a grander remit than that. Peter went on to say, all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins through his name. A Saviour who is Messiah and Lord. Nor could those shepherds and, and those who heard them have grasped how what the terrifying angels told them would roll on and roll on and roll on beyond Israel, at least to the Roman capital itself, the capital of their empire. This is how Luke ends his two-volume work. You know that Luke and Acts are two parts of the same story. When I say end, actually it ends very openly, very open-ended. The very end of Acts, the very last thing we find, Acts 28, verse 28 and following, we find a converted Pharisee, or a turned-around Pharisee, Paul, explaining to a bunch of recalcitrant fellow Jews about Jesus. And they don't, kind of, they don't kind of buy it. So he says to them, let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the nations, the pagans as it were. They will listen. And then this text concludes, he, that's Paul, lived there two whole war years at his own expense and welcome all who came to him, proclaiming, what was Paul's message? The kingdom of God, the reign of God, coming to reign, and teaching about the Lord, Jesus, it says Christ, but Messiah, same thing. The Lord, Jesus, Messiah. With all boldness, without hindrance. There's the message again. The shepherds They had not seen half of it. And in fact, not just the nations, I mean, the ancient world didn't believe there was anyone over this part of the world. That was impossible people could live this side of the world. But now here we all are, some of us native, some of us turned up. Down the centuries, from the angels to the shepherd, the shepherds, those around them, to right in this very room this morning, that message has continued on. Until this very day, here we are, here we are either caught up in or or hearing this wonderful message again. There is a Saviour who is both Messiah and Lord, who is the judge of the living and the dead. All who believe in him find forgiveness in his name. In him, God comes to rule his world. What the shepherds had witnessed was the beginning of what the the Christian faith now understands to be the coming of the God who is behind the billions years of history of this universe and the unthinkable expanses of space coming into human experience as one of us. To be subject, like the rest of us, to the logic of biology, the logic of human politics, the logic of fear and loss and uncertainty. And that this coming among us, is in a deep sense for us, to free us from that which at his heart is wrong with us in this world, a Saviour who is Messiah, the Lord. And he does this, not by denying or avoiding suffering, failure, or even death, or even the judgment of God, but by himself going through it all, to the very end of it, and then rising from the dead, vindicated. And renewed for us. Today, the message is proclaimed to all. It's one of the reasons that we are here. The evangelizing that began in the dark countryside outside Bethlehem continues still.